Coming up, I'm going to tell you how to get people to follow your lead. And if they aren't, I'll tell you why. And then Gen Z, are they really unprepared for the workforce or is this a leadership issue? And I'm going to coach you up. Let's go. Helping you win in your work life to grow personally so you can grow professionally. This is the Ken Colvin Show. And I can tell you this, if you're winning in your work life, you got a great shot of winning in other areas of your life, vice versa. If it's not going well at work, I can tell you it's going to trickle down and sometimes flood the rest of your life. So if you're not a leader, you may want to check out here, but you shouldn't. Because I can tell you, if you keep getting promoted, there will be a point where you come into an opportunity to lead. Some of you recently jumped into leadership. Some of you have been leading uh, for just a short time. Some of you have been leading for a long time. So I got news for you. You're not a leader, no matter what your title says. You're not a leader, no matter who is under you on the org chart, if people aren't following you. Now think about that. You're not a leader unless people are actually following you. My uh, former leader and mentor, John Maxwell, famous leadership guru, once said, people buy into the leader, then the vision. Many people who approach the area of vision and leadership have it all backward. They believe that if the cause is good enough, People automatically buy into it and follow. I believe Maxwell's right. He calls this the law of the buy-in, one of the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership in his wildly popular book. In other words, what John just said is, is you can come in as a leader and have a very impressive PowerPoint vision, uh, a great ability to communicate a vision, and it make a ton of sense to everybody in the room. But they will not follow you and they will not buy into a vision no matter how impressive it is until they buy into you so if you want people to follow you in the pursuit of a vision they need to be bought into you first the only way to get people to buy into you is to earn trust so leadership and its ability to make a difference moves at the speed of trust so if you see leaders with high efficiency and making things happen and it seems as though things are just moving fast there's high trust if you see leaders who are struggling to get momentum i can tell you there's low trust in the organization so if you want or you need the people you're leading on your team to let you lead to truly follow you in your current role i can tell you that your primary goal is you've got to build trust because you don't have trust. Now, we're going to talk about how to build that trust in a moment. But first, I want to call out some of the ways that you can tell your current team doesn't trust you. An unaware leader is the worst kind of leader. And before I break these down, this reminds me of when um, my boys were much younger. I remember a specific vacation. We went down to 30A on the panhandle of Florida. is one of our favorite places to go. And and, and the boys were probably uh, f- probably three and five, about that age. And we decided to go on a walk one day. They wanted to collect seashells. And so Stacy stayed back with our daughter, Josie. And, and so I took the boys out, and, 
And, uh, you know, they were they were old enough now they didn't want to hold my hand, didn't need to hold my hand. And we're just walking on the edge of the water as it comes in, and the waves have crashed, and now it's just kind of slowly eking its way up the beach. You know the scene. And we're looking for seashells. And so we start off together, and, and you know, first I'm watching their every move, and, and they're just enjoying it, and, and they're walking with me. And at some point I begin to daydream and begin to look down the beach. And as any dad or mom will do, you know, I, I, I sense that they're there with me, but in this moment I've become distracted and I'm looking forward and I'm still walking at a slow pace, but still consistently walking, not thinking for a moment that my boys are stopping and getting distracted continuously. And at some point I remember uh, looking over my shoulder and the boys were way behind me. Now they weren't in any kind of danger, but I realized they were not following me. They were doing their own thing. They weren't thinking about staying with dad. They were distracted by shells and the waves and whatever else is going on. And I think that that metaphor right there, this idea of I was the distracted dad, I was the unaware dad. And I think distracted leaders and unaware leaders, they think they're leading because they're just showing up every day and going through the motions. And I thought, well, I'm doing a good job walking with my boys. And yet I wasn't paying attention. And the boys weren't actually following me. And so if you're a leader and you're way out in front of the pack and no one is actually following you, I got news for you, you aren't a leader. You're a leader in name and position only. So you shouldn't have to constantly turn around like I would and pay close attention to my boys. So one of the reasons that that you don't have trust is your team is distracted. There's too much going on. There's too many different initiatives. There's not clear communication, and they're distracted. They're not looking at one clear vision that you have said, this is where we're going, and so therefore they're not following you because you're having to do what I did as a dad. Hey, guys, boys, come on. And if you're constantly have to remind people, come on, we're going this way, we're going this way, you haven't created trust in your vision, your direction, and your ability to lead them there. They're just not paying attention. Second, your team is hesitant. You may have given them clear direction, but they've got some doubt. Maybe they doubt your ability to pull it off. Maybe they doubt their ability to pull it off. Maybe they actually doubt the direction or the plan. But if your team is hesitant and you sense that as a leader, I've got news for you. There's a lack of trust in something. There just is. Number three, your team is grumbling about you. You begin to hear things. You're not getting a straight answer from them in one-on-ones. Maybe you're not having one-on-ones. But you're hearing in the office that there are some rumblings about you and your leadership. Let me tell you something. If people are murmuring, having bad attitude, grumbling and gossiping, you either never had that team's trust or you've done something to lose their trust. Four, people are leaving you. You see a lot of turnover. Now remember this. People leave leaders, not companies. People leave leaders, not companies. Now it doesn't mean always that you have done something bad to them. I think that's the initial leadership reaction when I share something like that or you're confronting that thought. It's really true. But at first you might be a little defensive to say, whoa, I didn't do anything to this person who left, fair. But you might not have done enough for them. 
It's not about what you did to them sometimes. It's what you didn't do for them. And and that's why people leave. They ultimately leave because they don't think that leadership has created an environment where they feel comfortable staying. So those are four causes of a lack of trust. So look for those signs. And when you get to the bottom of it, if, if it's one, two, three, or all four, we've got to address this. So how? You do this consistently every week. You begin to build trust, by the way, one person at a time. It's not having a big meeting and giving a rah-rah speech and saying just the right thing that gets everybody going, all right, I trust this guy. I think I got news for you. It's not going to happen. This has to be one person at a time, building trust one person at a time. And keep in mind, building trust with one person may move faster than, than, than with the other. And so everybody on your team, you must build trust with them individually. As you build trust individually, you earn the trust collectively. So how do you do it? Two simple questions that you have to ask. And I mean this when I say this on a weekly basis. You got to look at your one-on-ones and or conversations that you just create. Private, by the way. Not for show. You got to ask them, how are you doing? How are you doing personally? Know what's going on in their life. I don't mean creeping and, and, and stalking. I just mean if they're going through something or their family member's going through something, you got to talk to them enough, checking in on them personally, that they begin to share what's going on. And you want to know, how you doing? You okay? You need some time off? What can we do to support you? Then you ask, how can I help you win? See, the first question is personal. The second question is professional. How can I, as your leader, help you win? Do I need to remove some stuff from your plate? Do I need to get you some training? Do I need to make a tough decision for you? What can I do as your leader to help you win? If you ask those questions consistently and you actually listen to the point that you react well and you follow through with, with, with promises of support, then that's when you begin to earn trust. Why? Because they know you care about them personally and they know that you want to help them win professionally. And the results of that are absolutely amazing because people begin to trust you. And when they trust you, they buy into you. And when they buy into you, then and only then will they follow you. It's simple, but you got to do it. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, one way to win at work is to do work that you care deeply about. Like you actually give a crap about it. It's meaningful. But what do you do? How do you do that? Well, you got to dig. You got to figure out what is that? What is in my heart? So I ask people all the time, who are the people you really want to help? So you got to spend time on that. So how would you spend maybe an extra hour a day? Is it about reading a book, listening to a podcast like this or something else? Is it a new skill? Is it coffee with a mentor? Is it yoga? Maybe, maybe not. But can I make a suggestion? If this is about the heart and doing meaningful work, I think therapy can help you find what really matters to you. Your life, your life experience, environment you grew up in, pains, victories, that shapes your heart. And if you're thinking about therapy as, well, I just got to have something really bad going on in my life, I think you're missing it. I want you to try better help. Just try it. Therapy isn't just for people who are going through trauma. It's really great for awareness, self-awareness, to be able to build skills, to take that awareness and transfer it into work that really matters to you. And boy, will that change your life and your income. BetterHelp's awesome because they're flexible enough to fit your busy schedule. 
and it's all online. You fill out a short questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch at any time for no cost. Listen, folks, I do regular therapy. I can't endorse it enough. It's about awareness, and awareness is a superpower. So make time for what makes you happy. Use your time with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ken today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ken. Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. Hey, if you're enjoying the program, you can help us grow two ways. If you're watching on YouTube, we'd love for you to like the video that you're watching, subscribe to the channel, and share the video with someone you think it'll help. And if you're listening via your favorite podcast app, you can give us a follow, a five-star review, and share as well. So, all right, let's get to this. So, a lot of leadership grumbling right now, and I'm seeing it in the news about Gen Z. And I just want to park here for a second, right? I'm pulling into a parking lot and we are in the leadership parking lot right now. And leaders, you need to pay attention to this because I think that Gen Z single-handedly as a generation uh, may be creating some of the greatest leadership challenges that we have seen in a long time, but also simultaneously create leadership opportunity like we've not seen in a long time. So, what I mean by parking here is I want to start by saying stop buying into the social media viral videos of some of these Gen Z kids that are saying some pretty ludicrous stuff about how hard it is to work a 40-hour week and whatever the stuff that's out there. Um, they are not representative of an entire generation. That's unfair. Secondly, how about you re-engage with your memory and think back to when you were in your 20s and 30s? Now, Gen Z's in their 20s, but I just want you to think back to your view of the world and how drastically it has changed from the time you were in your 20s and the time that you were a teenager and, 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 and uh, navigating high school and that, that bridge to adulting, as they call it. Now, I want you to think about that, leaders. Specifically leaders, because because you bear a tremendous responsibility here. You didn't create the world in which we live, but you are leading in the world in which we live. And so you have to navigate it. So I think we have to start there. Uh, I don't think that this generation is any lazier than any previous generation. I think it's just nonsense. It's garbage. But this generation of workers, Gen Z, has had circumstances, has had advantages and disadvantages that are very different than the advantages and disadvantages that my generation had, Gen X, following the boomers. It's just a different world. Um, I remember the first campaign I worked on, political campaign, I had a pager. And so when my boss uh, at the campaign headquarters in the middle of the state needed to talk to me, and I'm running four congressional districts down in the southeast corner of the state, uh, and he needed to talk to me, he paged me. And I got a page, and then I, if I was not in the office, I had one of those Motorola brick phones, and I would call him, and then he would tell me what he needed me. But that's the world that I entered the workforce. We used pagers. 
I remember like five years later, the BlackBerry was invented and we thought we were living on Mars. I went to college and didn't have a computer in my room and we didn't have the internet in my four years of college. So I just, let's just understand the world in which these young workers have been raised in. It's a different world. All right, enough of the setup. But I, I just think it is it is really incumbent on leaders to to not have such a short memory. And I think we got to stop with this generation is lazier. I don't think they're lazier. I do think they're more entitled, and I think those are two different things. Because I think entitlement comes down to expectation, and I think laziness is a choice. I do think there's a big difference. A, a person chooses to be lazy. I think a person has to fight entitlement. I think entitlement can almost kind of happen by osmosis. Both are bad, entitlement and laziness, very bad. But I do think there's a difference. I think laziness is worse than entitlement because entitlement is based on expectations. And I do think that every young generation that comes out has different expectations than the previous generation, and it's based on culture. So enough of the lecture, but I do think it's really important for leaders to understand and co-workers of Gen Z to understand this stuff. All right, now, so I was on Fox News, I was on Fox and Friends uh, about a week or so ago, and they were asking me about Gen Z and are they prepared for the workforce. And and so uh, I, I basically said, look, um, I don't think they're as prepared as they need to be, but that's on parents and then it's on leaders. Leaders, it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility to lead them. And and, and so they have different expectations. So a uh, recent survey uh, came out that employers are trying to avoid hiring Gen Z. Well, good luck with that because you're not going to be able to avoid them. It's like the kid that picked on you at school and your mom and dad says, just avoid them. Well, okay, great. How am I going to do that? I can for a while, but I can't completely avoid them. And leaders aren't going to be able to avoid hiring Gen Z. So this is nonsense to me. When I see a survey like this, I, I, I would gently and respectfully challenge leaders who say this. I would say, I get that you want to avoid it. I want to avoid eating broccoli, but it's good for me. You're going to have to learn how to lead this generation. 58% of those leaders say they're unprepared for the workforce. They might be, but welcome to leadership. Uh, this is interesting. Some research from a guy named John Friese. Uh, He said this in a quote about some research that he has been doing. He's the senior managing director and head of global labor strategy for a consulting firm in Cura. This is what he said, and I agree with him. He said, quote, Gen Z is not a lazy generation. It is entitled, and I agree. And they're entitled because they have the freedom to make a more broad set of decisions than older generations that have had and now do have financial obligations. They're just different. He's right. Here's specifically what he's talking about. Over half of younger adults are living at home with their parents. So therefore, they're not carrying rent. They're not carrying a mortgage. A lot less pressure financially. A lot more freedom as a result of that. They aren't getting married and having kids at the rates of previous generations. So again, not as much responsibility. Hey, no mortgage, no rent, no kids, no spouse. Again, I'm not commenting on that part in those decisions. I'm just saying that's where we stand, and therefore they have so much more freedom. 
So entitlement takes on a different definition when you go, do they feel like they should have more options? Yeah. You know why? Because they do in major areas of their life that aren't work-related. So that's important to understand. Now, Gen Z also wants a lot of flexibility when it comes to work, specifically the lifestyle that I live. No, I got to work, but how do I want it to impact my lifestyle? Why do they want this? Well, I said this on Fox News. Every generation looks at the previous generation and generations. They look at their parents and grandparents. How do their parents, how do their grandparents talk about work? How did their parents' lifestyle or how was their parents' or grandparents' lifestyle affected by work? Gen Z, they're not different than any previous they, We all look at previous generations, and whether it be in parenting or marriage or health or religion, any area of our life, previous generations always affect the next generation as, as to how they decide to live their life. It's just natural. It's observation. And so one of the things that is happening as a lot of these leaders are saying, well, Gen Z, they won't stay with me very long. They're moving. They're fat. They want a lot of upward mobility. They want to change jobs. They want a lot of flexibility. Yeah, guess what? That's not a Gen Z issue. The millennials before them, I remember talking about it on this show six years ago. Guess what? Millennials change jobs at a faster rate than Gen X, my generation. Big freaking deal. Doesn't make them flakes. It's just the nature of work as it continues to evolve. But it's also about their age. Younger generations, by nature, are less tied down. So were you, Gen X. So were you, Boomers. When you were younger, you had less commitments, less responsibility, and as a result, you wanted different things. So, wrapping up. Job hopping is not a new trend that's exclusive to Gen Z, number one. And kids being young and green and not as prepared as the 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50-year-old on your staff is not new. So what has to happen? Leaders, where there have been cultural and parenting deficiencies with young people, you have to step in and lead them, which means teaching and training, encouraging, rewarding, being consistent, being patient, showing them the way. They will step up. I guarantee it. No need to throw your hands in the air. How about getting your hands dirty? There's no reason why Gen Z can't be the greatest working generation of all time. It's going to come down to leadership. What will you do, leaders? I'm here to help. Hey, I want you to stop right now and just listen to this. I want you to imagine life four months from now, but you're actually making a starting salary of $75,000. Bethel Tech has a front-end web development micro-credential that you can earn in just 15 weeks for only $5,000. Coding skills are in high demand right now, and you learn them in less than four months. So whether you want to level up your career and salary or you've always wanted to be in tech, you can get started on Bethel Tech's front-end web development micro-credential or a data science micro-credential, another hot field. Now's the time. Let's go. The next class actually is right around the corner. March 18th is when it starts, and Bethel Tech is going to offer you, as a Ken Coleman Show listener, 10% off. So go to BethelTech.net slash Ken Coleman for details. Terms and conditions apply. 
All right, welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. Time to coach some folks up. Let's get to Kathy in Olympia, Washington. Kathy, you're on the Ken Coleman Show. Hi, Ken. Thank you for having me. You bet. What's going on today, Kathy? All righty. So I'm a data scientist in the healthcare industry, uh-huh. and I recently switched to another company, still somewhat within the same industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm currently not enjoying my role, and uh, my previous employer reached out to possibly have me back. However, I have my reasons to stay where I'm currently at as well. So my question is, uh, should I go back to my previous company or stay where I currently am at? Well, let's break it down. So let's talk about where we are first. Okay? Okay. Why are you, or not why, let me change that to what is causing you to be unhappy in the current role? Well, uh, several things. Uh, I'm in the federal government, and so there are some things that aren't moving how I'm used to, coming from the private sector. Oh, okay. So uh, so let me make sure I get this. This is uh, the pace, the pace of work or the pace of decision-making? Yes, uh, there is also lesser flexibility. Uh, I am supposed to be a salaried employee. However, uh, you know, uh, everything is recorded by the hour. So I'm kind of adjusting to that as well. And also the way uh, that we approach projects, that there's a lot of personal branding and lesser action. I guess that ties into the bureaucracy part as well. Yeah, okay. What do you mean when you say that? I think I know what you mean, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, well, we like to talk in theory about several projects and how, how we would take and approach projects. Uh, but uh, when it comes to how we're going to implement, um, because also we're also, a lot of the interesting work is done by contractors. Uh, what's left for uh, our actual employees are less interesting, I would say. Right. Okay. So a lot of, lot of peacock stuff going on, showing off and jockeying because it's a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of talk less work a lot of too much yes. talk not enough action is that what i'm hearing yes okay and and is that a is it affecting your ability to do your job uh or is it just irritating because you come from such a different world of work and you're like you guys this is a joke or is it both i, I think it's a mix of both so how is it hampering your ability to do your job uh, I think it's affecting my morale a lot. Uh, it helps. It's uh, making me disengage a bit. Yeah, yeah. Because you're like, this is silly. It's silly. It's it's almost the way you look. It's like this is not the way to do work. Is that fair? It sounds fair. Yes. Uh, and 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 I'm guessing that you have figured out that that's not going to change. Is that fair? That's fair. Um, well, I'm saying probably where I'm at. Uh, uh, one of the reasons why I'm thinking that it would be a smart choice to stay, I'm considering changing industries, and where I'm at is a good place to be. However, I, I don't know how it's going to be in another industry still within the federal government. Well, what do you mean by that, another industry? Uh, well, and probably not in healthcare, probably in another sector. Okay, so you're in healthcare now, but in 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 federal government healthcare. Yes. And the previous company, which we'll get to in a moment, they're also in healthcare. Yes. And and you are a data scientist, so I would think that a data scientist uh, 
can really cross industries fairly easily. Is that a is that a good assumption or a bad assumption? That's a fair assumption. Yes. Well, yeah. What other industries are you intrigued by? Uh, transportation, logistics. It's a bit different from where I'm at. Yeah, but and are you have you gotten to the conclusion that the federal government is not the place for you? I have not yet. You should, because I I I could be wrong. Well, let, let, let me be real. I could absolutely be wrong about this. Uh, because you could run into a federal office where where there's really good leadership and they're efficient. I just don't think it's very common. And I think that the way government works is fundamentally different than the private sector. That I'm willing to put a stake in the ground. I shouldn't just broad brush everybody, but I think the chances of you working, let's say, in the transportation sector and working for the federal government, I think you're probably going to come into the same kind of stuff that's frustrating you right now. And that's what I mean by I think you should probably get comfortable with that, that the federal government and state government is bureaucratic by nature. It is not entrepreneurial, and it's always going to be slower and in some cases dumber. And I'm going to get lit up for that statement, but I'm just going to tell you I believe that's true. Okay. I mean that. And what I mean by dumber is not dumber people. That's where I need to correct that statement. So somebody, oh, Ken thinks everybody that works for the government's dumb. No, I just think that the way government works is dumber than the private sector. That's what I mean. And by the way, some of you go, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yes, I do. I worked for the governor of Virginia for 12 months and I about died. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not spouting off. This isn't like, oh, you're on Fox News and you think you're... No, I worked for the governor of Virginia, and I lasted, Kathy, 12 months. It was painful. <laughs> you know? Yes, I know. You know. So can I just tell you, I think you need to be mentally going, why would I step into another federal government job when I'm used to innovating and solving problems? I just don't think you should do it. Now, so I would, so uh, so let's get to real quickly why, what is keeping you from taking the old job back? Um, well, one of the reasons why I moved was I felt that I outgrew the role. Perfect. However, before I left, they were making some changes that if the changes happened earlier, I probably would have okay. stayed. Another reason Perfect. was I was uh, also thinking about the, the benefits within government and now, the pension. No, I know. I get it. Can I just tell you, you can take your government pension and just throw it in the trash. I, I, there's, the government pension is never a primary reason to take or keep a job. You got me? Okay. You Listen, you, you got a 401k and matching in the private sector and your own ability to invest. I don't care about a government pension. So you should never take or keep a job based on a government pension. It's like you, though, well, the government's going to take care of me. I don't think the government's going to take care of anybody. And I don't think the government knows how to take care of anybody. Have you read the headlines about Social Security and Medicaid and Medicare? Hmm. Have you? I have, yes. Kathy, I got news for you. The government runs Medicare and Social Security. They're pathetically inefficient. You know it and I know it. Hmm. 
So that's what I think of your government pension. All right, now let's shift gears. The question and the only question for the boss at the old job is this. Have these changes been made? Because the reason I left is I felt like I had hit my lid and I remember conversations about changes and and detail them out. Have these changes been made? How has it affected blank, blank, and blank, which you know how to bring up? You have nothing to lose. He wants you back. You got all the cards. You with me? I would lay it out. Let's see how he addresses it. And you know what else I would do? I wouldn't take his word for it. I'd call some of your coworkers and go, hey, I just talked to Fred. Fred wants me to come back. Has this change, this change, and this change been made? You tracking with me, Kathy? Um, yes. You could do that, couldn't you, Kathy? I could. And your coworkers would tell you the truth, wouldn't they, Kathy? Yeah, I believe they would, yes. Yeah. So how confident are you now with this? You can actually play this out and see if this is a good move for you. You get it? I get it. And I feel a lot more confident with this decision now. Perfect. Now, listen, if it's a good move, I'd take that move just so you don't get miserable and frustrated in the government role. And that is a next step for you to decide, do I want to change industries? So I think it's a bridge. Does not mean you have to take it back. So you have two options in my mind. One, stay where you are and find a private sector job in transportation or some other industry. Because you have the talent of being a data scientist and you're valuable in a lot of places. So stay where you are, find a new place, and then go. Or go back to where you were if the changes are made to where you have a ladder for growth. Or if you go, I'll go do that for a year while I figure out where I'm going next. I think those are your options. So I really appreciate the call. You've got this. Uh, I'm very excited about your future. Now you got your decision-making grid. Now trust it. This is the Ken Coleman Show. Press on. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.